Welcome back, Rob Port 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. A lot going on today. The uh, just just before the show, I was watching the last the last throws in the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee uh, before they're expected to vote on uh, on Kavanaugh this afternoon, and um, I would expect um, I would I would expect that vote to be this afternoon. I, I expect the committee's probably going to. Um, it, it, it honestly kind of doesn't matter, Eric. I, if, if you remember back to the the Clarence Thomas, um, the, uh, the the Clarence Thomas um, situation, they actually had a uh, the the Senate Judiciary Committee voted out a, a no recommendation. Um, so I guess what could happen is is if if they don't have the votes, basically it comes out of committee with no recommendation. It goes to the full Senate. Then the question is, where are the votes in the full Senate? Um, so either way, but if it comes out, I mean, if they get a win in the Judiciary Committee, that obviously, I think, probably looks a lot better. But I, it's going to require every vote the Republicans have on the committee to do that. Um, but it will come out and, um, you know, go to the full Senate. And, and then the question is, how, how, how do the senators in the full Senate vote? Um, some red state Democrats, we don't know where Heidi Heitkamp is at now. I was just reading, as of about an hour ago... Uh, former communications reporter John Hageman uh, tweeted, just off the phone with Senator Heitkamp, who remains undecided on Kavanaugh. She's still dissecting the hearing from yesterday and expressed disappointment there wasn't an FBI investigation into sexual assault claims. Um, let's uh, let's not kid ourselves. That's not what she's investigating. Senator Heitkamp in the middle of a tough re-election battle. The calculus that she's doing is political. It's all political right now. Um and, and also, I'm, I'm sure she's waiting to hear from on high whether or not, you know, what the rest of the votes look like. I mean, it's but but trust me, it, it's a political calculus for the senator. And honestly, I, I think this vote has become about more than just Judge Kavanaugh. I mean, this isn't about his 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 qualifications for the court are fine. I realize that some people don't like his uh, his his philosophy, his judicial philosophy, his approach to judicial issues. And that's fine. Um, you know. Elections have consequences. President Trump is allowed to appoint somebody uh, to his taste when it comes to those sort of things. Uh, And that's just how politics works. Elections have consequences. But, you know, as far as his qualifications, I mean, he he sat on the second highest court in the land, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, for years now. He is eminently qualified for the court. Um, as far as the rest of it, if, if, if there is, is criminal wrongdoing in his background or, or unethical wrongdoing in his background to be proved, put him on the court, let the opposition prove it. But for Senator Heitkamp, and I wrote that this morning, and I stand by this. I'm getting a lot of blowback for it, but I stand by this. I think Senator Heitkamp needs to decide, is she going to vote for Judge Kavanaugh or is she going to vote for hate? Because this is bigger than Kavanaugh right now. This is a question of whether or not these sort of tactics, these sort of partisan tactics are going to work. Are they going to become the norm or aren't they? Now, it's worth noting that Senator Heitkamp has sort of a unique spot in the history of how we reached, as I put it in my my post today, how we reached this unhappy crossroad. In 2013, during her first year in the United States Senate, uh, then Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, Democrat from Nevada, 
led the charge to get rid of the filibuster for judicial appointees, non-Supreme Court judicial appointees. Now, there were three Democratic defections from the party line on that vote. Senator Heitkamp wasn't one of them. She voted to get rid of the filibuster, and it has been a downward spiral since then. We don't have the filibuster anymore. In fact, it was weird. Senator Heitkamp campaigned against the filibuster. Oh, the filibuster was terrible, which is an odd thing for somebody who is against bipartisanship to do, right? I mean, Senator Heitkamp says, oh, I'm, I'm against bipartisanship. I hate the filibuster. I'm, I, I'm, 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 or excuse me. She's, she's, she's against partisanship. She's for bipartisanship. She wants to reach across the aisle. Eric, what is the filibuster but a mandate for at least some level of bipartisanship? All right, that's all it was. I mean, if, if Democrats are upset, right? They're, they're upset. Oh, Judge Kavanaugh, he's such an extreme picker. Do you think maybe if Donald Trump knew that his Supreme Court nominees would have to survive a filibuster? that maybe you would have gotten a more moderate, at least in their point of view, uh, pick. Now, I, I think Judge Kavanaugh is just a fine pick, but I'm a conservative. I mean, if the concern is we want middle-of-the-road people, we should have kept the filibuster. Who voted to get rid of the filibuster? Heidi Heitkamp. In 2013, her first year in office, the year that she would go on to vote over 90% of the time with her fellow Democrats. Now, so she's moderated more as she's approached Election Day. But if you want to know why we're at where we're at right now, why this isn't working, why while well, the, the, these Supreme Court appointments, I mean, these sustained personal attacks on Judge Kavanaugh are unlike anything any appointee in this country has ever seen before. Not Robert Bork, not J- Clarence Thomas. It has never been like this before. And part of the reason why while why we're here is Senator Heitkamp's vote in 2013. Now, she's undecided on Kavanaugh. I think we need to to ask her, we need to demand from her, do you mean what you say? When you say that you oppose partisanship, when you oppose, you know, this these nasty politics of division and everything else, well, your party has deployed that against Judge Kavanaugh. And a big reason, a big part of the reason why they did it is to give Senator Heitkamp cover so that she could maybe vote against Kavanaugh here in North Dakota and it wouldn't impact her election. I mean, that's what a lot of this, when when you see Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Chuck Schumer, all these Dick Durbin, all these other national Democrats on the Senate grandstanding on these issues, saying horrible things about Brett Kavanaugh, that he's evil, right? I mean, yesterday, Brett Kavanaugh, the, the, the most shocking thing to me are all the Democrats who are like, did you see how angry Brett Kavanaugh was? He He's not fit to sit on the bench. You're calling the guy a rapist. You said he I mean, even before the sexual assault allegations came out, you were calling him evil. You were saying that his appointment to the Supreme Court would literally kill women. And now you have the temerity to say, oh, look at how angry he is. Oh, that's just terrible. Before I came out on the show, Senator Blumenthal was on the Senate Judiciary Committee. He said, oh, he was so excited. He doesn't have the judicial temperament to sit on the Supreme Court. You called him a rapist. Of course he's angry, you idiots. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. So anyway, that's that's where we're at. We'll talk more about that. Coming up at 1230, we're going to talk about another attack. Uh, Congressman Kramer's wife, Chris Kramer, is going to be on. She's also his campaign manager. And Democrats for months now have been trying to make an issue out of Congressman Kramer's uh, campaign finances. Uh, at one point, they filed a complaint with the FEC where they said it, it wasn't possible 
that Congressman Kramer could have run up $1,100 in mileage charges and mileage reimbursements uh, during a uh, during a quarter, a, a reported quarter uh, of, of his campaign reported to the FEC. Uh, the Associated Press checked it out. Uh, it's turned out it was completely accurate. They had the receipts and everything. Everything checked out. Uh, oh, and also... Uh, I did the math on it. That worked out to 23 miles a day. So Democrats have been trying to make an issue out of Kramer's uh, campaign finances for a while now. Their big thing, and they got an ad out now where they're saying, oh, Kramer paid his wife, you know, this, you know, over a hundred thousand, whatever the number is. It's like over six figures or something like that. Uh, but they're, they're, they're taking her salary over the course of three plus two year election cycles. So you're, you're talking, I mean, we're now in 2018. So this is the fourth statewide campaign, right? 2012, Kramer was elected. You have uh, 2014, 2016, now 2018. This is the fourth two-year cycle that Senator Heitkamp, um, or excuse me, that Congressman Kramer has been campaigning in with his wife as his campaign manager. I went back, Eric. I actually did the math on what she's been paid. you know what her salary works out to be, her, her yearly salary for working as his campaign manager? What's that? Less than $25,000 a year. $24,600 a year. Does that sound unreasonable to you? No. Working as his campaign manager? I don't think it does. Mm-mm. I went. To, I actually went to payscale.com. You know what the average for a, a, a professional political campaign manager is, what the average pay is? It's about $54,000 a year. Now, the, by the way, the political operatives, like the people who work on the campaigns, they don't make a lot of money. <laughs> They're there as a, as a political stepping stone to something else. Uh, Senator Heitkamp's... Um, Senator Heitkamp's, um, or excuse me, Congressman Kramer's uh, campaign. I mean, she's been working for his campaign for years now. Uh, she makes significantly less than the average. And matter of fact, I, I would guess that if you, she's probably making less than minimum wage if you calculate out her salaries versus the number of hours that you've got to put into something like a statewide campaign. And I know she does a lot of his scheduling. I, I know because when I make requests of the campaign for the congressman to come on this show, make requests for comments, things like that, a lot of times Chris Kramer's either responding to me or or she's being CC'd on the response. She is very much a campaign manager. She's going to join me at 1230 to talk about that. Uh, also coming up at 1 o'clock, we're going to have on Sarah Fagan, who uh, worked with Brett Kavanaugh. She's a former employee of Brett Kavanaugh. She's going to be on the program at 1 o'clock to talk about the confirmation process. Also at 1.30, uh, Democratic Secretary of State candidate Josh Boucher is going to be on. Uh, but back to the Kavanaugh thing. Uh, we're, we're wrapping it up. Um, I have no idea what that votes. Um, Senator Flake came out and said he's voting for Kavanaugh, which is a good sign for Republicans because I, I f- if Republicans can hold everything together – then they'll get the vote because they just need a simple majority. They have a uh, they have a 52 seat majority in the United States Senate. In fact, they could even probably uh, afford one defection. Although I imagine they don't want any at this point. But Senator Flake saying he's going to vote is a is a big thing. Senator Cassie said he's going to vote. Cassidy said he's going to vote. Senator Corker said he's going to vote for Kavanaugh. Um, these are all good developments, and I think an indication that you know it's probably in. Um, but I think with Senator Heitkamp cast that vote again for somebody who spends an enormous amount of time talking about how she's middle of the road. She just wants to be pragmatic. She just wants to get things done in Washington. She doesn't like all the partisanship and the fighting. If you look 
at the ugly campaign that Democrats have run against Kavanaugh. Does she vote for that? Because she, she's essentially endorsing it. If she votes no on Kavanaugh, it's an endorsement of what Democrats did to Brett Kavanaugh. And if Democrats are successful with that tactic, not only are they going to use it again, but Republicans are going to use it again over and over and over again. Please don't do that. Nobody wants that. That's not good for any of us. We're going to take a break. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAYAM. 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Port 970, WDAYAM, 93.1 FM. Talking about the uh, the Kavanaugh hearing, which in, in the Senate Judiciary Committee is in its last throes. Uh, they should be voting pretty soon on whether or not um, whether or not they're, they're actually going to uh, they're actually going to vote or whether or not they're, they're going to have a recommendation. Because that's what the Senate Judiciary Committee does, is they make a recommendation to the full Senate. Now, their recommendation doesn't count for anything. The, the Senate Judiciary Committee could could kick out a recommendation of uh, that, that they're against the nominee, and the full Senate could still confirm. Nothing's stopping them. In fact, we don't even technically have to, to hold uh, Senate Judiciary Committees to confirm somebody. It's That's kind of up to the Senate itself. But uh, obviously, Republicans want the, the committee to uh, to recommend appointing uh, Kavanaugh. Let's uh, go to the phones. If you want to join in, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Karen, you're on. What's up? Well, I expected Dr. Ford to convince me with her testimony, um, and she did. But then the surprise was that Judge Kavanaugh, was terrible after that. He was like as if he'd drunk two or three beers. He was obnoxious. Oh, my. Are you kidding me? He was terrible. Okay, Karen, how would you react if somebody spent weeks calling you evil, spent weeks accusing you of rape, spent weeks suggesting that women would die through your actions? How would you react? I have a thick skin. I would still stay... Myself, I think and that not you would be indignant. Some sort of ten-year-old uh, spoiled brat. Oh, he was not like that at all. I watched his entire speech and testimony yesterday. He was not like that at all. He was like that. That's the a entire lie. Time after Doctor. He was Ford. not. He was not. You're lying, Karen. I'm You're not lying, lying, Karen. That is fat. That is factually inaccurate. Okay. I would. I would. I would. I would encourage everybody who just heard what Karen said is a lie. Thanks for the call, Karen. Uh, I would encourage everybody who just heard Karen lying about Judge Kavanaugh to seek out the video for yourself. It's all over the Internet. He was indignant. He was angry. And it was not inappropriate. It is not inappropriate to be angry when somebody falsely accuses you of something. Now, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that her. Obviously, from his point of view, it's false. And I don't blame him for being angry. I don't blame him for being angry for the attacks on his family. I don't blame him for being angry for the sustained, even before we got to the accusations of sexual misconduct, even before we reached that low blow, that low moment. Even before that, they were calling him evil. They were calling him disgusting, that he was going to kill women and everything else. I mean, this is what they were literally saying. You don't get to just unwind that and pretend like it doesn't happen. You don't get to to, to, to spend all this time uh, attacking him and then say, oh, my God, oh, he's he's so angry. Oh, he's disqualified because he's so angry. Are you kidding me? 
701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, John, you're on. What's up? Hey, Rob. This is a message to Karen. You're a liar because I also watched the whole thing myself. Everything. And what really got me is when Feinstein ended up getting cornered on that letter again. Because now it's coming to who leaked it. That's what got me the most. And it does make sense. And the other thing, too, when they talked about uh, Biden and 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 the video on that, about the FBI... And then I think it was Senator Crapo, I think his name is. And he mentioned about the policy, about the FBI, and that letter, because even before they should have done this, Feinstein should have gone to the other, all the other colleagues got together, same thing, forwarded it to the president and the FBI to do their job. And guess what? This is what it comes down to, because all I've seen so far is that they're talking about his past during high school and college. Now, if he was a drunk, like Karen said, and all this other stuff, then you're going to have a hard time explaining his, his, uh, his schooling and his academic uh, achievements that he's done. Because if he was a drunk, like, like the Democrats said, he would have never, ever finished off school like this. Because I know I'm doing my, I'm doing my bachelor's right now in Homeland Security, and you have no time for that type of stuff. Because if you want he, that degree, I, I, I don't, you're going to have to, to bust your, your butt. Yeah. To your, to your point, John, I don't I don't understand how he could spend decades in the I mean, at, at one point, if you listen to his testimony, and, and again, and you're right. I, I, because yeah. Well, John, hold, hold on, John. I don't know how you spent decades as a public guy. I mean, at one point during his testimony yesterday, he talked about traveling the world with President George W. Bush as his counsel. He was involved uh, during the, the, the Clinton hearings uh, on, on Monica Lewinsky. He was, uh, yeah. obviously, he sat on I, one of the I, most I, important courts in the country. If he was out raping women and being a drunken jerk, uh, I, I, I feel like, you know, we would have more people coming forward now. I, I can understand prior to the Harvey Weinstein thing and everything else, I could understand people saying people weren't coming out. But at this point, where are the contemporaneous accusations? They're just non-existent. All we have are we have three unsubstantiated allegations. I I got to go to a break. Yeah, I got to I got to go to a break, John. I appreciate your call. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at wday.com. We're gonna switch gears. Chris Kramer joining me next on the on uh, the the height camp attacks on her as her uh, as her husband's uh, campaign manager we'll be back right after this so go away got an email in response we had karen in the last segment and she was going off she said that, that judge kavanaugh looked drunk yesterday like he'd had a few beers or something during his uh, testimony I, I called her a lie he did not look like that at all i thought that that was a lie but you don't have to take my word for it the video's all over the place in fact, I would encourage you to go watch. It was a remarkable, uh, roughly, I guess, well, I think it was like 45 minutes uh, of, of, of his opening statement to the Senate Judiciary Committee. I would encourage you to go seek it out on YouTube or whatever on the Internet and find it and watch it. It's worth watching. And, and by the way, watch Dr. Ford's testimony, too. That's worth seeing as well if you didn't already catch it. Uh, Steve emails. He says, I totally agree with Karen. That is way beneath you to call her a liar. That was just her opinion. I certainly agree with her. I, like Karen, have a little thicker skin than you. 
They could make up any accusation they want about me, and I would handle it because I knew it wasn't true. The way he reacted, it's hard not to believe those accusations were true. Um, but that's that's just that's just remarkable and and a load of crap, Steve. She said that it sounded like he was drunk. Uh, go watch the video for crying out loud. And, and I, I like the shifting talking points now. Right. I mean, now that it's now that now now we're shifting on to, oh, he was so angry. Well, you know what? He should have been angry. He should have been indignant. I don't have a single problem with him being indignant when he was called a rapist and said that his, his appointment is going to kill women and the attacks on his wife and everything else. I mean, this it's been horrible. I don't blame him for a minute for being angry. But we're going to move on. Chris Kramer, why, uh, campaign manager to Kevin Kramer uh, and also happens uh, to be his wife. Uh, she's on the program now. now. Now, you may notice, and it's, it, I, I, it's been such a blizzard of campaign advertising, uh, but one of the campaigns out there is one from the Hike Camp campaign, um, and Democrats have, have been, you know, working this talking point for, for months now, uh, maybe longer. And But the Hike Camp campaigns come out there, and they're putting front and center this claim that, that Congressman Kramer is, re like, reimbursing, you know, enriching himself, enriching his family, I guess, with campaign dollars, and, and specifically that he's been paying his wife to work for his campaign. Um, now, I've done the math on that. When I did the math earlier this year, uh, it worked out that since 2012, Congressman Kramer's uh, wife, Chris Kramer, uh, for, for being his campaign manager, has been making less than $25,000 a year in salary. Uh, that is about half of what a typical campaign manager would get. Uh, and so my question for you, Chris, is why are you so underpaid? <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know what? We've we've always known since I started being the campaign manager that somebody was going to be upset about it, so we kept the payroll. But um, here, here's what I don't get. I've been – I can't understand why somebody would wonder why I get paid for work. You know, I started working when I was 12 years old. My dad had a drugstore in the small town of Kandu. I worked behind this soda fountain. I served people malted milks and made soda, you know, from the, you know, you put the syrup in and add the charged water. And all my life I've been working, and I've always been paid for it. So when they started criticizing me for being paid for being Kevin's campaign manager, well, I'm still puzzled by it. I guess when you work hard, you get paid for it. Now let's let's speak to some of your your qualifications because it's it's not just that oh you're married to the congressman and now you're you're doing a scheduling or whatever you have an educational background in communications that that lends itself to to this sort of work. Right, I have an undergraduate degree in marketing. I have a master's degree in communications. I've spent more than twenty years teaching public speaking, interpersonal communications change management at three different universities. I've been a marketing manager for a company. I've been a, at Basin Electric. I was marketing communications director. Yeah, my whole life has been marketing and communications. And I think more even more importantly than that, I know this state really well. I have lived here almost all of my life. When you're from a small town, as anybody listening from a small town knows, you drive everywhere for, you know, for the dentist, uh, for many things that you have to purchase, and I've always been on the road, and even more so since I've been married to Kevin. Now, when you see on on and and I'm, like I said, this has been going on for for months now. 
Um, in fact, I think even going back into last year where Democrats have been, oh, you know, he's he's paying and, and previous election cycles too, where Democrats have been saying, oh, he, he pays his family, he pays his wife all this money. They're just enriching themselves. Uh, and now, you know, as, as we're in the, the closing weeks of the the election cycle, um, you know, they're, they're they're putting this front and center and, and they're they're making it sound like you're it's just nepotism that he's just be, your, your husband is just paying you campaign dollars. Uh, to enrich himself, uh, and as an act of, of nepotism. What's your reaction when you see those accusations? Well, one thing in the ad, it, it, it said she was, I was paid 150000 It makes it look like it was a lump sum instead of a combination of salary and, and reimbursements for expenses over the last seven years. So, you know, again, um, my daughter, who's 30 years old, Rachel, some of you probably seen her in the ads. She got a direct mail piece from Heidi Heitkamp saying Kevin Kramer is trying to keep women back in the 1940s. And he wants, you know, he doesn't want equal pay for women. And, you know, I think it's just hypocritical of her to criticize that me, who was a professional woman before I met Kevin, that since I have the qualifications, that I shouldn't be paid for the work I do. It's it's not like it's really exciting work. And by the way, Rob, we do do work. We do work all the time. Kevin's up for election every two years. We're always fundraising. He's always doing political things that need to be scheduled. We have many vendors that we've worked with, and I do all that work. I, I, I know you do, because uh, when I email, you know, I, I sometimes email you folks in the campaign or whatever, because I want to schedule Kevin for an interview, or I've got something I'm working on, and I, I need, you know, a comment or whatever, and uh, and either you respond to me, or uh, you're, you're CC'd on it. I, I know you're working in the back, so the idea that, that you're just, I don't know, eating bonbons somewhere and collecting a paycheck uh, doesn't doesn't match reality. Yeah, it's not all exciting work either. I do data entry. I have to put all the checks, the information in so the FEC reports are good. I work with the FEC attorney, which, by the way, he's been hired since 2012, and he makes everything makes sure that everything we do is ethical. Yeah. I, I, I don't I don't get it. You know, interesting. I mean, it's it's not like Democrats have made some pretty wild claims. Um, the, the mileage thing earlier this year that you and Kevin were, were reimbursing yourself for for mileage, you know, over a quarter. I, I think Kevin's was a little over eleven hundred dollars or something. I mean, I worked out the math. It was like an average. He was getting reimbursed an average of 23 miles a day. And by the way, the Associated Press looked at it, too, and didn't see any problems with it at all. But they make a lot of wild accusations. But what's interesting to me, Chris, is that. Last cycle, in 2016, the Democrats' gubernatorial candidate, Marvin Nelson, employed his son-in-law as his campaign manager, which I didn't have a problem with. I don't even know how much money he made. I don't see whether that's a big deal. North Dakota's got a pretty long history of families working together, whether it's a farm or a small business or whatever. Um, Family businesses are are pretty normal in in our part of the world. We work with family a lot. Why would it be unusual that our, our candidates would also have family members involved in their campaigns. What's the big deal? There shouldn't be a big deal. And, by the way, they've also criticized that our daughters have done some work for the campaign. But when you're in the middle of an election cycle, it's not like there's a lot of people that want to take on, you know, three-month jobs, you know, and um, sending our daughter to get the mail and collect the checks. And when we're really busy, that's, just seems logical to me. 
or our other daughter who does video, if if we can hire her, why wouldn't we hire her firm? Yeah. I, I, I don't I don't know. I mean that's a good question. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Um, and by the way, I, I should point out, I mean, one, one thing that's that's been a little odd, because I, I went back and looked at the FEC records as well. Senator Heitkamp's reimbursed herself for mileage, just as as, as uh, uh, Kevin Kramer and, and his family has from the campaign. Uh, Senator Heitkamp's also reimbursed family members. Now, not as much. The dollar figures aren't as much. But one sort of interesting thing that they do is, is, is your campaign, the way you guys do accounting, is I see a lot of reimbursements. When I'm looking at the FEC, it, it seems like a lot of people pay out of pocket and then the, for, like, mileage or supplies or whatever, and then the campaign pays them back. It looks like the height camp campaign, the campaign just directly pays for pretty much everything, which is I'm, I'm not being critical of it. That's just another way of doing it, I guess. But, uh, you know, your, your guys' stuff sticks out, and theirs doesn't because you're, you're just – sort of the way you're doing the accounting. That's right. Yeah, if we just used a campaign credit card and paid for everything, we wouldn't be reimbursed and then Yeah. You would also see be, it. you'd just see a lump sum payment to that credit card company. It would it would also be a little a little less transparent if you did it the height cap way. Uh getting back right. to her to, to their uh you know her her attacks and I and I saw this when when the campaign put out a press release in, in your response and I think you alluded to it earlier in this segment as well, where you said, you know, essentially, listen, I'm, I'm a woman, I've got a job, I'm working, and she's, she's attacking me. I mean, that's a lot of what we hear from Senator Heitkamp, is needing to empower women. In fact, uh, we hear from Senator Heitkamp a lot about the need to bring more women in, into to politics. You know, say, you know, this, there's a place for you here. There's a place for you to work here as a candidate or work on a campaign or what have you. It seems like hypocrisy for me. To, to me for, for her to do this for her to be this upset that um you know her, her opponent's wife is is working for him uh and, and 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 again not an unreasonable rate of pay i don't think anybody out there is going to think a twenty five thousand dollar a year salary for working on the campaign is uh is is some big boon uh, to your bottom line no, I'd be out working somewhere else for a lot more than that, frankly. I took a big yeah. cut in pay to come and work for the campaign, and I'm happy to do it. I believe in what Kevin is doing. I We have the same values. It's important. That's why he's running for Senate. Um, we're doing it for America, not for ourselves. But, yes, I'm doing a job, and I'm getting paid for it. You know, the whole gender politics thing, I, I just tell everybody around us, we are not going to do gender politics. I have never felt like I have been less than a man in the workplace or like I've been passed over because um, I'm a female. So, you know, I know some people do feel that. Some people don't get equal pay. Uh, It hasn't been me. I always go back to my, you know, look at my great-grandmother. She came over here from Norway and she homesteaded. She was a teenager. We come from... We come from stock here in North Dakota with the Norwegians and Germans where the men and women both chipped in and did the work. So I don't do gender politics. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. Emailer asks, hi, hi, Rob, did your math on Chris Kramer's compensation include travel and all other things that were paid with public money since she is an employee? First of all, I should point out, we're not talking about public money. This is campaign money. Uh, Chris Kramer, she, you're not working for... Uh, Kevin's uh, congressional staff, you're working for his campaign. That's what we're talking about. These are private dollars donated to the campaign. Um, and then, but, but the other part is as far as travel. Now, 
I remember when I looked at it, I calculated your salary, and I think it, it averaged out to less than $25,000 a year. There were, you know, a few hundred dollars in expenses, I think, you know, depending on which quarter you looked at. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the amount of expenses? How, how much is that? I mean, it's like mileage and meals and whatnot. You know what? I didn't go back and look because it's, I mean, when you have a job, you're not expected to take money out of your pocket to drive to Fargo to a meeting. And if you have to stay overnight for something the next day, you're not expected to pull that out of your pocket. I never have at any job that I've had. And so, um, and again, we have used donors' money wisely. We have had the office for the most part, most of those years of the seven, our office has been in our house. So we haven't had anything that we've had to charge rent for. I have been paid at half the rate. Uh, we've been very careful. We are, you know, we have a family budget. Kevin and I are not rich people. We're used to living on a budget, and we like to treat the donors' money like we're like it's our own personal budget. And yes, it's not public money. In fact, if I'm out eating with Kevin somewhere and he's on an official uh, trip, and I'm along. The public money cannot pay for my meal. So in that case, we would generally put it, put it both on campaign funds. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So the, uh, what I found is uh, I, I just I just actually through, through the uh, third quarter of 2017, I did the math earlier, you were averaging about $344 in expenses a month. So in, in addition to your... Uh, salary, which is a little over $2,000 a month. You had about $344 in, in expenses, mileage, meals, which is not that expensive. We are over time, though, Chris, so I appreciate your time coming on with me to talk about this. All right. Thanks, Rob, for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. And, and emailer, that's, again, about $344 a month in expenses. Again, gosh, I don't think that's egregious. Uh, hey, more to come straight ahead. Rob Report, 970, WDYM, 93.1 FM. Go away. Welcome back, Rob Port 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. I um they're they're voting now, Eric, you're you're watching the news there and I've I've been kinda trying to watch here, but obviously they don't have the, the audio up, but I, I they're voting right now, right? Senate Judiciary Committee. Yep, yep, they did. I'm vote. getting press I'm getting press releases right now saying that they've approved them, but I don't know if these groups are like jumping the gun. No, it was a vote of eleven to ten. Eleven to ten. All right. So party line. That's not surprising. Um yeah, so it'll head uh, and and actually, frankly, that's that's doing better than they did with uh, Clarence Thomas, who went to the full uh, Senate uh, Senate for a vote without a recommendation from the Senate Judiciary Committee. So Kavanaugh comes out with a recommendation, and I guess we'll see what happens uh, in the full uh, the full Senate. Now, now it does say that uh, Senator Flake is calling for a delay on the vote. I don't know if that means that it, it would be a delay for the full Senate. Uh, they're calling for a one week delay so that the fbi can can do an investigation but i, I don't yeah, know I, I'm, what see, I'm seeing that right now but i yeah i don't know i don't know i don't i don't know i don't know how we're served any but by prolonging this political spectacle any longer um if they've got the votes i say vote and uh if you want to do an investigation you certainly can at which point he can be impeached uh and removed from the senate i, I think that's the way we've got to handle it at this point because what what we're doing right now I don't think is ever going to bring us to a, a point where we get truth or we get justice. What we're doing right now, I think, is shameful as a nation. Uh, all right. We're going to go. Uh, speaking of it all, Sarah Fagan, who is a uh, former employee of, um, you can see her commentary on CNBC, uh, but she used to work 
for Brett Kavanaugh. She's going to be joining us next to talk about him. This is the Rob Report, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're Rob Report, 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. We uh, so, so the news out of the Senate Judiciary Committee is that... Um, and, and we hopefully she'll be joined by uh, Sarah Fagan um, in in a moment. She uh, is a, a former employee of uh, Judge uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, but the news right now out of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, the, the Judiciary Committee did vote to um, to recommend um, Judge Kavanaugh for appointment, uh, and that did come with Senator Flake's vote in the affirmative for Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, but what... Um, what he has also called for is a one-week, no more than one-week delay uh, so that the FBI can perform an investigation. Um, I am in favor of getting to a point where we can have some level of satisfaction with this. What I am worried about is any delay at this point is just going to open the door for more partisan chicanery. I, there is so much turmoil around this i don't know how anybody could see this thing clearly and i don't think we're gonna see this thing clearly until you put them on the court everything calms down a bit then do an investigation then if it turns something up you can impeach him but you know i saw i don't i don't know how i feel about this one week delay i mean i guess i'm not against it per se but what i am tired of is is the partisan chicanery about around this it's it's ridiculous and i don't want to just open up the window for more chicanery so what so what do you think let's let's put it out to the audience um again a review of what's what's happened is uh senator heitkamp uh or excuse me Senator, senator flake is um he voted for Kavanaugh on the Senate Judiciary Committee uh Kavanaugh has come out with the committee's recommendation on an 11 10 vote um it now goes to the full Senate, but Senator Flake wants a delay. Now, Republicans may very well need his vote in order to get Kavanaugh through, and he says he wants a no more than one week to delay for the FBI to investigate. Um, what do you think? 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Do you think that's reasonable? Do you think that's something we ought to do? Um, in a, in another environment, another political environment, I, I would have no problem with that at all. I would have no problem with slowing it down no more than a week for an FBI investigation. In this political environment, with the extraordinary campaign of, of character assassination and personal attacks, and, and listen, outside of whether or not you think Professor Ford is credible or not, just outside of that, no honest observer of this process can honestly say that the partisan attacks haven't been absurd. Absurd, obscene. They've been disgusting. And so what I don't want is more of that. I don't want to get to a point where we feel like this is going to be settled by partisanship, right? I don't don't want some uh, underhanded political strategy to work. Now, again, if, if an honest investigation reveals actual factual 
evidence of actual wrongdoing by Judge Kavanaugh, then fine. But I don't think we're going to get that in this environment. I say confirm him and do the investigation afterwards. He can be impeached. What do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Jeff, you're on. What's up? Hey, Rob. Uh, I... I ended up watching all this last night, and they hammered him yesterday. Um, these delays, they're, it's just, I, I'm with you. Let's put him on there, and then they can always go back if there's a problem. And I do believe that this woman had something happen to her, but I don't think he did it. I don't know. Uh, the way they hammered him yesterday, it was painful to watch. Yeah, and, and again, and I, it, I, I, I said bipartisan is what it yeah. is. It was just I, in, incredible. I said that yesterday. Um, I said that I felt that um, Professor Ford believes what she's saying. I, I think that she feels like she's telling the truth. Yeah, uh, I and agree. I, 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 agree. I think that I think that that something happened, but that's a different thing. Then, you know, provide making a factual case that it was Brett Kavanaugh. Well, that was the one. Now, Professor Ford's 100% convinced. The problem is eyewitness testimony is unreliable. Yep. And uh, there's, him and his family has been through hell with this thing. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. They, I, that, that's the and, thing I don't understand. Another, is people are, you're right, though. Another delay. And we're just going down another long road here. But anyway, yeah. you have a great day, sir. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the call, Jeff. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Let's see. Brad emails Rob. Even if they do the weak FBI check, it won't be enough for Democrats guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the problem is what's being what we're trying to meet, I think, is a is a partisan standard. Right. I mean, what what would. The Democrats are motivated by, I mean, this is a group of people who, for the most part, came out, they were opposing President Trump's nominee before President Trump named a nominee. They were saying that this guy, uh, was his, his presence on the United States Supreme Court was going to result in the deaths of women before we even had anything from Professor Ford. So the idea that we're going we're gonna to have an FBI investigation and it's going to produce something that, are, that is ever going to satisfy Kavanaugh's critics among the Democrats in the Senate is silly. Now, I think an FBI investigation, if it turned up factual evidence that that Brett Kavanaugh did something wrong, uh, it could convince me. I'm open to being convinced to that. But my point is there's plenty of time after he's on the court to do that sort of an investigation and, and to impeach him afterwards if necessary. So uh, what do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Let's see. Got another email here. Chris says, uh, Flake also said it would be up to McConnell to call for the investigation. At least that is what I got out of it. If he does not, uh, then they would vote. Feinstein did not like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. And this is a fluid situation. I don't know everything that's going into... Uh, flakes. I, I guess I don't know what you would call it an ultimatum, right? Of, of sorts. I mean, I, I don't know if he's saying that he'll vote no on Judge Kavanaugh if the FBI doesn't 
have a do a, a, an investigation after a week. I, and it's hard. For, I, I don't understand how he could flip flop on that. I mean, if he's ready to vote yes, then why the need for a one week investigation? And that's what he said. I mean, he said he'd vote yes. So I, I don't transparency, transparency. Yeah, um, I, that's fair. That's fair. And honestly, I mean, I, did you understand? I'm not necessarily against this investigation. As a matter of fact, I think it should happen once he's on the court. Regardless, I want to know what the truth of this is. Um, my only, the, the only thing that concerns me, the only thing that gives me heartburn is this partisan environment that we're in right now. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Jerry, you're on. What's up? Yeah, two things. One, if if Feinstein's office was the only person who had information about Ford's allegations, other than Ford, how was it released to the press? How did the press get a hold of it? And two, what? I was in college 30-some-odd years ago. Now, I was never sexually assaulted, but I was... I did pass out drunk one time and had a bunch of people writing markers on my back and on my face. Now, I couldn't tell you who did it, and I can't tell you the time and date, but I sure as heck can take you to the same house where it happened. Yeah. Uh, how, she can, how she can say she has no recollection well. of the house, no recollection of the date. I mean, if this was such a traumatic experience, I can't imagine her not knowing where, what, where well. this took place, when it took place. I mean, there's not a person alive that doesn't well, remember that, where they were. You know, I, any... any... happened. Any any witness any witness in a given it doesn't it's not it doesn't mean that she is um, it doesn't mean that, that she is lying uh, but it does speak to her credibility if she can't remember that then you have to question whether or not she can remember some of the other things she says she remembers with a hundred percent certainty I, that's that's a fair question to ask Jerry thanks for the call I want to move on our guest is here Sarah Fagan uh, Sarah. Uh, who is a, a a very long history? Uh, you were a White House political director for President George uh, W. Bush uh, during uh, your years in the White House. You you helped him enact some of his uh, top legislative accomplishments. Uh, your commentary can often be seen on CNBC, and and also in your uh, in your resume, you you worked with with Brett Kavanaugh for for a while. Worked for him, uh, Sarah. Welcome, and and tell us a little bit about how you worked with Brett and what your experiences were. Yeah, I worked with Brett for about four years in both uh, Bush White Houses. Uh, when I was the political director, he was, of course, the staff secretary for the president. And prior to that, he, uh, in the early Bush days, uh, the early days of the first administration, he was the staff lawyer in the White House responsible for all the president's political communications um, in terms of reviewing them. And, of course, I worked in the political office, so... We worked very closely together on that. Uh, he was a great colleague. He was a terrific guy, very measured, very calm. In fact, yesterday it was interesting watching the hearing. That is about ten times more angry than I've ever seen him. And uh, uh, he had every right to be, in my view. Um, but uh, I know there's been so much chatter on the social media about, oh, he's so angry, he's such an angry guy. Well, well I, I would, I would like to see how. But I, he's not an angry guy. I would like to see how those people would respond if they were put in his position, because I could tell you that's not an easy place to be. Now, the accusations against him 
uh, are, uh, you know, lately, and, and this, is, this is so difficult to talk about because these are such ugly personal things, but, um, you know, th- there's accusations out there that he has a drinking problem, uh, that he, he, he gets drunk and he blacks out and he acts inappropriately and he says inappropriate things and he does inappropriate things. And then, of course, we have the specific accusations from Professor Ford uh, and a couple of other women. Uh, Sarah, in, in, in your time working with Judge Kavanaugh, have you seen anything did you ever see anything that, that would lend credence to, to, to these claims? Nothing. Not a thing. I, I think that is one of the things that I find most troubling about yesterday. And, and I not only work with uh, Brett Kavanaugh, he and I are very close friends. Uh, he and his wife and I and many of our other friends coming up as young professionals in the Bush administration before any of us were married and had kids, we spent a lot of time socializing uh, with each other. I've been to birthday parties, his birthday party. We were invited to each other's weddings. I have been around him in many instances where alcohol was served, and never, not one time have I ever seen him not only drink excessively but even be remotely drunk. So it's just not who he is. And, you know, the, the troubling thing yesterday was that some of the Democrats on the committee were trying to paint him out to be this stumbling drunk. And, and I think the point, Brett, tried to make and just sort of never got the opportunity to fully explain it was you don't get to be number one in your class at a elite prep school. You don't get to be captain of the basketball team. You don't get into Yale Law School. You, know, you don't get where Brett has gotten if this is the pattern of your life. Uh, it doesn't work that way. It's too difficult competitively and so did he have a few beers in high school when the drinking age was 18? I'm sure he did. Did he ever make a mistake? I'm sure he has. Uh, but he does not have a drinking problem, and there has never been any evidence in my mind about that. So it's just another unfortunate smear. Is it? And, and this is the difficult thing, um, is, is that, I mean, obviously we're, we're hearing from a lot of people on both sides. Um, we're hearing from, I mean, there are dozens and dozens of people who have signed letters who have come out and said, you know, Brett Kavanaugh is a great guy, qualified for the court. These these accusations are are, are untrue, or, or at the very least, don't don't fit into uh, our our perception of him. We have a few on the other side. I think like an old college roommate or whatever that says, "Oh no, he was a blackout drunk or what have you." I mean, the difficult thing in in all of this is there's no none of us ever socialized with Brett Kavanaugh. We in the general public, I mean, we don't we don't know him. I mean, he's he, yeah, we don't. We we may have seen his name in a in a news article here and there, but we have no idea who this person is. How do we reach a point in in, in all of this? For, what's your advice for the average voter out there who, who's trying to make sense of of what we're seeing here? Claims from people like you, claims from other people, claims from politicians, claims from media pundits. How do we sift through this? Well, I think you have to go back to the, you know, what led us to the point where he was about to be nominated, which was he had 30 hours of hearings. He had six FBI background investigations where not one shred of any of this was found. He's had almost 200 women who've worked with him, for him, been his students, been his classmates, have come out and said that he is kind, respectful, thoughtful, responsible, fair. He promotes women. Uh, And read his opening testimony yesterday, read and listen to it if you haven't had a chance to do so, I think it presents a very compelling case about who this person is. 
and then go with your gut. You know, yeah. things that look and smell funny often are. And, you know, watching the hearing yesterday, of course, Dr. Ford, you seemed like a lovely person who was very kind and I would say was a compelling person. But she didn't get asked one tough question, not one. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of other evidence in her history that suggests if you're going to make this claim in the 11th hour, you know, and this is where I think the Me Too movement stretches too far. And it's, it's overarching. It's good when people are abused to come forward. They should have yeah. no shame. But well, I would, I would argue that if people came forward. Else, well, you better yeah. come prepared to talk about it. it you yeah. can't be in a scenario where it's like, well, just because I said it, nobody should ask me any tough questions. So I'm, I'm sorry, our system yeah. of justice doesn't work that way. Well, oh, by the way, I mean, if the Me Too movement works as intended, hopefully people will come forward contemporaneous to when things happen, and we won't yes. be left trying trying to, 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 to parse out what happened, you know, three, four decades a- after the fact. Um, last last question. You were involved. We we just saw the Senate just before you came on. The Senate Judiciary Committee voted. Uh, they did come out with a recommendation, partisan line recommendation in flavor in favor of Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, but but Senator Flake called for a one week delay to allow for an FBI investigation. Now you're you're familiar with this process. You were on the confirmation teams for uh, Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Sam Alito. Um, what, what do you, what do you make of that? Well, I think Senator Flake, you know, just in in watching the coverage here before jumping on the radio with you, you know, is doing that mostly as a means of trying to bring the Senate back together. The Senate Democrats were so dug in on this one fact that, in his view, we should go forward with it as a means of alleviating, you know, sort of the pressure in the Senate. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a terrible thing. I don't you know, I think what Senator Graham and others have pointed out, Senator Grassley, um, you know, pointed out their FBI is not going to find anything different than the Senate. I mean, one of the things that I don't think has been well explained to the public is the Senate Judiciary Committee is has a robust investigative arm. They have investigators. When you do statements to them, they're sworn often. They, they carry penalty, uh, criminal penalties if you lie. So when these individuals that do not corroborate her story gave their statements, they did them under sworn or under yeah. sworn. They're sworn. They're not under oath, but they're sworn statements. And they carry penalties if they were to to be lying. And so I think all we're going to do is spend a week where rather than talk to a lawyer on the Senate Judiciary Committee, they're going to talk to a lawyer at the FBI and say the same thing. And we're going to come back a week from now, most likely, and – and not one thing yeah. is going to change, but perhaps if it lets out some of the pressure in the Senate, uh, it won't be a terrible thing. Sarah, thanks for your time. Hey, I would just say one final thing, if I could, which is sure. anybody who thinks this good man should be confirmed in North Dakota ought to call Heidi Heitkamp and tell her to vote for him. Yeah, no, I agree. Sarah, thanks for your time. appreciate it. Sarah T. Fagan, who uh, worked for uh, just uh, Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, and has been involved in a lot of this. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Uh, let's, do we still have the Shirley who called in? Yep, Shirley's still on the line. Shirley, hold on the line. We'll get to you after the break. This is Rob Report, WDAY. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Rob Port 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Want to get to the caller right away. Shirley, you're on. What's up? Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, thanks for being patient. I, 
Yeah, I'm driving. So I just wanted to make a couple of points. Yeah. Um, number one, I think that it would be really foolish to delay it any longer. Um, one of the reasons is is that I think she, she doesn't have any more information. I think it's going to be a waste of everybody's time and money. Um, so that's one point. The other thing that I would like to say is that I am in a similar situation as her and was attacked as a teenager. And when I was watching, which I did all day yesterday, the first thing that I thought was when she talked about going in and saying hello to the, is his name Mark? Is that his name? The um, Brett, Brett, the, the, the nominee is Brett Kavanaugh. No, the other guy. Oh, uh, Mark. Oh, that's that's Mark. Mark Judge. Excuse me. Yeah. When she talks about going into the grocery store and him not saying hello to her and she looked at him, I think that right there in itself is absurd because my attacker, if I seen him in a grocery store, even to this day, 30 some years later, because I'm a a woman that's a little older, um, won't tell you my age, but (laughs) I would run the other way. I would not be going up to him and saying, you're looking at him, expecting him to say hello and smiling at him. So that kind of right there really threw me. Yeah, and I mean, I obviously have zero experience. I I will caution, sometimes I'm a little cautious when we start talking about the way people who are victims or people who may have committed a crime or whatever, that, that we have these certain expectations that they have to act a certain way. I, I, I don't I, I understand what you're saying, but to me, you know, I, I don't know that that's conclusive one way or another. I appreciate the call, Shirley, and I agree with you. I'm, I'm not sure what a delay is going to serve at this point. Hey, we're going to take another break. We went a little long with our guests. This is Rob Report, 970 WDAYM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAYM 93.1 FM. We've been talking about the, the Kavanaugh thing all show, and, and just uh, there's a little bit of breaking news I want before we get to our guests. A Democratic Secretary of State candidate Josh Moshe, uh, Senator Murkowski of Alaska, another uh, key Republican vote. She's backing Senator Flake's call for a brief reopening of FBI background investigation of Kavanaugh uh, before the full Senate vote. I- I'm guessing that's what's going to happen now. We're not going to see the full vote of the full Senate tomorrow was originally scheduled. I'd imagine Friday, Saturday next week. Sounds like that's when it's going to happen. All right, let's move on. Our guest Democratic Secretary of State candidate Josh Boucher. Josh, how are you? Hey, Rob. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, not bad. How's the campaign going? It's great. great. I was uh, just up in our hometown, Minot. Uh, I was there for the Hoost Fest. That's right. Well, you can't miss the Hoost Fest. Now, the question is, do you eat lutefisk? I do not. I eat Swedish meatballs instead. Yeah, that's a smart man. I'm the German half of me rebels when uh, when I get near the root of lutefisk. You don't you don't put that in your tummy, you will pay. Yeah. Um, well, and it's been a while since I've been to the Hoops Fest, and I have not seen that many Lutherans gathered in one place. And, yeah, uh, been a, a lot of time. them. Yeah. I, uh, I go out there, I'm a lapsed Lutheran, but uh, that's all right. They're still nice to me. Uh, okay, let's, uh, Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals comes down. They say uh, they stayed a lower court injunction of our voter ID law. They say that, uh, that, that, that we don't have to accept identification uh, that does not have a residential uh, address on it, so this would be identification with P.O. boxes, whatever. What do you make of the court's ruling, Josh? You know, um, 
similar to what we've talked about before. You know, I don't agree with this. I, you know, we haven't seen a problem with fraud in our voting. Um, and, you know, I think we could have moved forward. We saw zero problems in the primary uh, with the way the voter ID law was, where people could bring a substantiating document that showed their residence. It didn't have to be specifically on the ID. Um, but, you know, this is the law of the land right now for this election. So we need to get out and educate voters on what they need and so they can cast their ballot. Um, and that's what? where I've really seen the Secretary of State's office fail. Yeah. You know, he was supposed to put out a voter education program back in June when the first uh, court ruling came out. Um, and to this day, we still have not seen a program that's now educating voters on making sure they have their ID updated and properly ready to go to vote. Do you feel like we need to wait until there's fraud before we put in place protections against it? No, not necessarily. Um, not at all. Uh, you know, I've pointed out several times, uh, especially on your show, how even the current voter ID law doesn't protect us from fraud. Um, you know, and I've pointed out how I would solve that in terms of making sure the DMV database that we're pulling from for voting loca- or voting addresses, uh, make sure that you can only vote from residential addresses. Uh, the current system doesn't allow that. Um, anyone can go on the DMV website, change their address right now to an address that doesn't exist or to an address in another precinct um, without proof of that address, and they're going to be able to vote from that address. So but if you're concerned, but if you're con- that, but yeah. we need to make sure our infrastructure, if we're going yeah. to use voter IDs, that we have an infrastructure that has integrity for voters. But if, but if I mean, you're clearly concerned about that because you brought it up several times. So, so why not also be concerned about somebody who brings a, an ID that has a PO box on it? Well, I guess when I look at the reality of or whether it's rural districts um, or, as we've seen with the tribes, uh, P.O. boxes aren't the addresses they use in those communities. Or, excuse me, P.O. boxes are what they use in those communities. Um, and so to give us, to, to allow, to require those people to all go get new IDs, IDs that worked fine for the last 20 elections, um, and now to change those um, is, is, I think, burdensome, but... It's the law of the land now, and, uh, you know, we're working with the tribes to make sure that they work with folks to get those IDs updated so they can vote, uh, that rural voters can get their IDs updated at DMVs near them, um, which is a whole other problem. When you go down to Oaks, North Dakota, their DMVs only open five hours between now and the next election. Um, So an opportunity for someone to update that is going to be challenging if it's expired or close to expiring. Do you feel like... um... And I've I've heard this a lot. I I have seen a lot of people claim that uh, that that North Dakota's voter ID law, what what was motivating a lot of this, was an effort to suppress certain voting demographics. Um, And specifically what's mentioned are Native American voters and uh, and younger college student voters. Do you feel that's true? Do you feel that that was the motivations when Republicans passed this? I feel if they really wanted to fix the voter ID issue, they would have gone to those communities, uh, gone to the tribe, gone to the university system and said, we're going to, our idea is to implement voter ID uh, with residential addresses. So how would we make this work so that college students and people that live on a reservation can vote? Um, And absent that, um, I don't know, you know, what their motivation was, but it's certainly concerning that still to this day, the Secretary of State has not gone to those communities to see how they can make it work. For those voters who are eligible to vote you know the, yeah. those college students have every right to vote here uh the tribal members who have been here well before statehood have every right to vote um so why don't we work within their system uh their infrastructure or at least support new infrastructure 
that's going to allow them to comply with the voter ID law. Why? What's what's so hard about complying with the, with the ID requirements the rest of us comply with? It's not that hard, Josh, to get an ID. Well, you're and, right, and it's vote. not. But as we go back to, in some of those tribal communities, they only have P.O. boxes as their addresses. Okay. Um, we have DMVs that are only open in an entire region of thousands of North Dakotans that are open once a month for five hours. I, so but, I feel, but I feel like, and, and, at, but in, in, instead of keeping our, our and, and I, don't, I don't mean to be argumentative, but I, I mean, it feels like, okay, well, well maybe maybe the tribes, it, it would be great if they had 911 addresses. I mean, I feel like that would be a boon to them beyond the voting question. If we have a problem with, with accessibility to the DMV in rural areas, maybe there's solutions we could implement. To me, to me, these are not arguments for weakening our ID requirements at the ballot box. These are arguments for fixing these other problems. Right, and I'm not saying that there are arguments to keep us from IDs. I'm saying that these are solutions that should have been implemented if we truly wanted to have voter ID as part of our our election infrastructure. And we are seeing the tribes now switch over. You know, Senator Heitkamp and I think Senator Hoven have worked hard to get the communities that didn't have 911 addresses to get those through the BIA. Um, those are, in, yeah. in my understanding, and based on a call I made the other day, um, those are in progress or have happened. Uh, but then people need new IDs with that information, you know. Yeah. So, you know, the, the tribal DMV centers, what, you know, how can the state partner with those tribes to make sure that those IDs are getting updated before the election instead of yeah. relying on the state ID system? Um, so these are solutions, you're right, that we can find. It just there has to be a willingness from the state to want to work with those entities to get them going. Yeah. I mean, I think there is. I mean, it's just a it's just a transition period. I mean, things change. I, at some point here, Josh, I have to go get a. I have to go through the uh, rigmarole of getting a real ID uh, because yep. I'd like to be able to board a plane <laughs> in the future. Um, you know, and that's that's a pain in the butt. It sucks. I wish yeah. I didn't have to do it. Uh, but you know, the reality is what it is. And, and sometimes we've all got to do that. I, I think sometimes we spend a lot of time. Um, you know, wringing our hands over this stuff for for partisan reasons that that maybe um, I I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I I understand. Well, is, sorry, how go long ahead. Do you have to be in compliance with that? Well, quite a while. Yeah. Twenty twenty. I mean, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, so there's that time period to allow that transition, and that's sure. I think, unfortunately, what some North Dakotans may not have this time this go around. But we'll I think I think I think that would be you know, I, try to get that there. I think that would be a fair criticism of the id laws that the legislature has instituted is maybe they could have left more time to ramp it up maybe they could have said hey we're not going to implement it this election uh we're going to implement it two elections down the road or whatever is an appropriate period to get everybody on board with what the id laws although complicating that is we've seen a lot of litigation here i mean it's it's been difficult too because a lot of what the legislature has been doing is trying to implement this with litigation with the courts stepping in uh, and the, the the courts obviously, with as we've seen with the Eighth Circuit, not always stepping in uh, appropriately. Uh, you know, so that's you know, it's 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 been a mess. Let's put it that way. Now but, I understand we have a few well, minutes left. Of, well, sorry, part of ahead. that mess is you know the last uh, right before Judge Hovland had ruled, he told the parties to go figure it out, and the Secretary of State's office chose not to try to find a solution that would work for those tribal members. Um, so you're right. We could have ended some of this litigation and, and found a solution. But I, again, you know, and granted, yes, I'm running for this office, so I'm going to be highly critical of the incumbent. But he's been in his job for 25 years. Um, and it's not just voter IDs that are the issue. It's his relationship with auditors across the yeah. state 
Uh, folks want to see someone there who's going to be a partner in finding solutions instead of being reactive. Now that's that's what I wanted to ask. Now I, I understand you're you're you've made some big ad buys, and that that has got to be expensive in this market right now with the Senate race. I can't imagine how anybody's going to get any sort of a message out from under the shadow of this Senate race. But I understand you're making some ad buys. What's your message? I mean, what are we going to be seeing in these ads? What's your messaging down the stretch? Well, primarily, you know, as someone who has a business background, who's worked in the legislature, um, that I'm well equipped to help bring this office into the 21st century uh, to move it forward in partnership with the legislature and the business community um, and make compliance with government easy. Uh, if we're going to have these regulations for small businesses or nonprofits to yeah. not only you know register with the Secretary of State's office, but also engage in the tax department, workers' comp, uh, jo- job service, all these other entities, let's, let's make compliance easy. Let's work together. Uh, to break down those silos, which has, you know, clearly been a message that the governor has had. Yeah. And North Dakotans really liked that. Um, you know, Secretary Jager has had uh, thir- f- 15 years, I believe it's been, since we started, 13 years, excuse me, uh, since he started this project. And his own party decided he wasn't getting the job done. Um, and because of a variety of circumstances, he's back in the race. So that's the record we're running on. You, uh, you Democrats all sound a lot like Republicans when you get on the elect. You know that? Like you just, with, well, we gotta, we gotta make it easy to comply with government. You sound like a Republican, Josh. Well, I don't know <laughs> if Republicans bit. have the total flagpole on uh, easing regulations. I think there can be common sense regulations. We need to look at yeah. how do we, you know, make government more efficient. I mean, these aren't just talking points that one party has license over. Um, But it is something that we, you know, when you truly are listening to the business community, when you're listening to voters in North Dakota, and that's what's important to them, that's my job is to represent that, not one party or the other or one talking point or the other. It's how how do I represent them and get the job done? Josh, I'm over time with you, but that's my fault because we went long with the guest earlier and then the commercial break was it's long. It's been a that's busy day fault, for you all um, it uh, has. in the news business. So. It has for sure. Thanks for your time, Josh. I appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great weekend. That's uh, it. We'll wrap the show up right after this. I'll go away. Welcome back. Rob Port, 970 WDAYM, 93.1 FM. couple minutes left here. Uh, let's see. Emailer Janet says, thank God Flake had the guts to stand up. All your male callers are in the same boys club. Really? I don't think we had, like, male emailers. I, that's stupid. Stop judging people by their gender. How about that? Uh, let's see. Caller, Sean, you're on. What's up? Yeah, it's Ron. Uh, oh, sorry, Ron. You know, I, live on, I live on the south edge of Stump Lake here, and about uh, 15, 20 minutes ago, we had some snowflakes coming down. Just a few. But speaking of flakes, what do you suppose Jeff Flake <laughs> is going to be doing about a year from now? We're just speculating. <laughs> Uh, I imagine he'll be a lobbyist for some organization or another. Well, if either that or he's maybe got some political ambitions. I'm thinking maybe he's going to lead maybe a little insurrection or something. He's got a he's got a book out there, I yeah, believe, maybe. called "The uh, Conscience of a Conservative." And I I uh, I kind of wonder if this isn't uh, his position here. Isn't uh, he's thinking about Jeff Flake? Is what I'm thinking about. So, but it's what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. So, um. I would, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what Senator Flake's motivations are. Um, you know, he maybe uh, he's posturing, maybe he's not. What do you, what do you think of the, of the delay? I mean, I, do you think it's a good idea, bad idea? You know, I didn't even, I didn't even know anything about it until I, I haven't been paying attention here today. Uh, yeah, well, 
Yeah, it'll be a delay, and then if something does come up, it'll be a delay, and then something more. And, and uh, yeah, they should have. If they're going to have some, some investigation, you know, should have started a month ago. There's there's no doubt to the motivation or whatever. And as far as the testimony yesterday, uh, like I said, it's a draw. Yeah, I I only watched. 15 minutes of, uh, of Ford, maybe 5 or 10 of uh, Kavanaugh, and uh, well, uh, the only thing with Ford is, I, with her emotions, I expected tears. Now, maybe that's not fair yeah. on me, on my part, but I just didn't see yeah. the tears, so. Well, Ron, I, I, gotta, I gotta go, but I appreciate your call. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the input. Hey, that's it for me this week. I'll be back Monday. Uh, we're gonna be interviewing one of the, uh, the CEO from one of the companies that's gonna be building a medical marijuana dispensary in North Dakota. So that'll be interesting. Tune in for that. Jay Thomas show straight ahead. I'm Rob Port. I'm out. Have a great weekend.